Follow Through Podcast. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and I'm here today with our host, Dr. Greg Miller, and our two guests, Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty, who are two of our favorite uh, counselors here at Faithful and True. And uh, we have invited them here today to talk about, uh, it's actually one of the chapters of Mark and Debbie Laser's Toolkit for Growth uh, book, which is a collection of 10 of their most effective exercises that they've used with couples uh, in couple counseling over the past several years. And so today, uh, Chris and Elizabeth are going to help us by uh, talking about redemptive separation. Right. And even the terminology, I think, is important. It's that um, here at Faithful and True, we talk about separation as being redemptive. And I know that for a lot of couples, especially couples who are from the church, maybe raised in the church, they have a lot of confusion about how can separation be redemptive because some of the core beliefs that they have that redemption or separation is about giving up or it's the end of the marriage. Mm -hmm. So what's your own understanding of separation as redemptive? Hmm. And Greg, I can just speak to that even for myself coming into Faithful and True. It was it was just a new a, a new understanding for me because separation was very much in my mind before of of giving up, right? It was it was kind of a means to an end. It was the step towards towards divorce. And um, in coming into Faithful and True, understanding that it re- there really could be. Um, just an intentional purpose behind it, that it wasn't about about giving up, but it actually could be um, just an amazing tool to to really help a couple thrive in, in the in the long term. And I do think for a lot of couples, it's about working through some of their um, core beliefs around this issue that mm-hmm. um, separation means I'm giving up, separation is surrendering to the inevitable divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, separation is an indication that we have failed. And so I think one of the first things that we can do with couples is really help them to understand that it can be redemptive, that some actual healing can occur um, when a couple chooses to do separation in a healthy and uh, redemptive way. Absolutely. So right away, we'll start just educating couples on what this process looks like. And so an illustration that Elizabeth and I often use is just kind of a like a, a diamond shape, but think of it as kind of inverted or the lay the diamond down so it's horizontal. And so for a time, we're actually moving our the coupleship kind of away from one another. So there's a divergence or a separation that's happening in that time. But that's creating space for each individual to do work individually, to grow individually. It's all predicated on this idea that it, it, it takes two relatively healthy individuals to come together and make a make a, a relatively healthy marriage work. And so, so if you follow sort of the trajectory of that diamond, you, 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 you'll notice that the, the couple is moving apart, but not forever. Right. Eventually, we, we, we decide, you know, there's a variety of factors that we're looking at, but eventually we decide, okay, when is it appropriate to begin, to begin bringing the couple back together? Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll notice, of course, that once you kind of turn the corner on the diamond, you're at your, the furthest distance apart. Right. And you don't get to the very end of the diamond, you have to just, our approach anyway is just gradually coming back together. So we'll just gradually reintroduce that. But when we we are able to put that on a whiteboard and actually kind of explain that concept to couples, uh, it it starts to sink in and make some sense. And and they generally will kind of buy into that idea. And then we'll uh, we'll get into this, you know, get into more of a structured, uh, more of a 
dialogue around, okay, how are we going to structure this separation right. to well, be redemptive? Well, and I think as you've identified, the thing that makes it redemptive is that there is this end goal of reconciliation. Yeah. And that's the piece that people can struggle with is they have a belief that, well, if we move away from each other, then we will never be able to move back towards each other. But sometimes it's the moving away from each other for a season that actually makes it possible for us to move back towards each other. Because one of the goals of the separation is to create safety for both of the people in the coupleship. Now, I know part of y'all's story involves separation. Mm -hmm. So how did you as individuals experience that season when y'all were apart? You know, so separation began for us before we found faithful and true. And and really in our story, in my mind, it was what I was talking about before that I, I never heard of redemptive or, you know, kind of the structured separation. And so in coming to faithful and true, you know, Chris and I had three young children and, and uh, the idea was pitched to us of structuring a separation, being intentional, um, just laying out a plan. And, and a lot of that was around the kids of how do we make this as safe for them as possible and, um, you know, just kind of to be on the same page as much as possible. This idea around redemptive seemed like a very far off idea. I mean, there were so many things that were going to have to happen. There were so many things that were going to have to change in order for me to even embrace that part of it. Um, and yet it just, it, it was, it was just trusting the process of, okay, like my focus at first is going to be on myself. My focus at first is going to be on my healing. And, um, from a distance watching Chris and his hoop to see what is he choosing to do? What's happening for him at the same time? Yeah. I, I don't, I, I too, what it was hard for me to buy into this idea of re, this notion of redemptive or redemption, you know? And so was it possible you know, maybe, you know, we weren't sure, but we both knew for certain that we needed to work on ourselves individually. Um, we were open. I mean, at least I was open to the idea that perhaps this could be redemptive. Uh, but there was no question at that point that this was, it was going, it would be a long road if in true, if indeed it actually would be redemptive. Um, but it, it's kind of a first things first. And so uh, in, in that in the early stages of that, of that, uh, of that separation. And sometimes we'll, you know, sometimes couples will have the same sort of, uh, opinion about that or the feelings or, or, or maybe inclinations around that, that, you know, I'm not, sometimes couples aren't interested in the word redemptive, right. you know? And so, so, so what we'll do is we'll just reframe that a little bit. We'll, we'll say, okay, well, let, let it's, if nothing else, it's important that you have structure in your separation. It's mm -hmm. important that you have guidance in your separation. Uh, it's it's important to recognize that this can be therapeutic, and it's not necessarily a stepping stone to divorce, not at all. Uh, but and it, it's also not a guaranteed commitment to the relationship. Yes. Right. And I, and I think what right. you're alluding to is couples are in different places, and there are those couples that can choose a redemptive separation and with confidence say, and our goal is to reconcile. There are other couples, because of the chaos and the pain, mm -hmm. they may be open to reconciliation down the road, and it's certainly not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. And I right. think part of the work is for us to encourage a couple um, to be where they are and for them to be able to identify their expectations versus it being imposed on them as far as what the end goal is. Mm -hmm. And we may know that our end goal, our hope is that they will be reconciled, and yet it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And I'm struck by your example of the diamond shape. 
because that struck me as a very mm -hmm. hopeful uh, illustration. Yeah. Uh, the necessary split mm -hmm. when you hit that point of the diamond, but just the vision ahead of the hopefulness of coming back together. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful illustration that you guys use, and obviously quite effectively. Mm -hmm. in, in your own story, Elizabeth, did you have hope of reconciliation or even desire for reconciliation um, as you were moving through the separation initially? Mm, at first, no. And I would say that word, redemptive, was was triggering to me. It was upsetting mm -hmm. to me because I, I almost felt like there's pressure behind that. And, I, and, and once I got to know and understand, no, there was no pressure. No pressure from faithful and true. No pressure from even, um, you know, that whole structure. But it really did. Um, it just gave me space to just focus on myself and what are my next right steps. You know, one thing I was asked early on when I first came into faithful and true was, could I commit to a period of time to leave divorce off the mm -hmm. table? And I knew that I was not in a place, I was not in a place of, of, of reason, of, of emotional health to be able to make that kind of decision. And so I, I loved having um, just the permission to say, okay, I don't need to choose divorce right now, and I don't need to choose marriage right, right. now. Like I can just commit, there's a place here for me to work on myself, and we'll see. But I think what was true for Chris and I is we both had to surrender our marriage. You know, we, we didn't know for sure if that would be, and that couldn't be the main focus. That couldn't be the thing that drove us through recovery was, can we get back together? Can we get back together? The, the primary goal for both of us became our own individual health, becoming healthy individuals as much as possible. Well, and I want to just talk a little bit, because we do talk about people doing their own work. And if it's taken out of context, it can seem very selfish, mm -hmm. you know, that, oh, I got to work on myself and I need separation in order to do that. But what I often encourage people to understand is when you work on your own emotional health, you are working on your relationship. Mm -hmm. And one of the images that I use, it's kind of like when we first meet our spouse, we bring to them all of our unhealthy dance steps. And somehow over time, we kind of find a way to dance with our unhealthiness and their unhealthiness. And it seems to work, but it's not all that it was intended to do. And it, it limits us from becoming the people that God intends us to be. So sometimes we need to separate and work on our own individual dance steps so that when we come back together as a couple, we can have a new dance. And if we don't have that time of separation, as soon as the old music starts, we fall back into the old patterns. Mm -hmm. And so part of this idea is learning to react, to live, to be, to dance differently so that then if we come back together, then there's hope that we can relate differently in a new way. Yeah. And so I would say we really grabbed a hold of that opportunity to really to work on ourselves. I think one of the things that made it that made it more maybe easier to do or more we had more confidence in the process was that this involves a, a great deal of structure around the separation so as elizabeth said we had three young children and so just having some structure around like one thing we could definitely agree on was that we needed to take care of our children and and make sure that their well-being was 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 put first and and so on and so forth and so you know, walking through the steps of the redemptive separation in terms of just having a structure or a framework from which kind of a foundation from which we could do our individual work was 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 really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, you know, we 
you know, then we started to go through and do some of the work that you're talking about, Greg, like, you know, the intensives. So then, you know, it was like, okay, well, what, what, what does the end of, what do, what are the individual pieces and what do the, what do those look like? Mm -hmm. So the intensives and got involved in a group here and, and really started to work a plan around emotion, emotional health and a plan around sobriety and recovery and, you know, all, all of the pieces. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll, we will bring a couple together every 30 days or so and we'll check in with the couple. And so Elizabeth and I started, we started checking in, you know, for, for several months, you know, and, and from a distance we could, we, we like to say kind of from across the room, so to speak, we could see the changes in the other person and we could see the, we could see that, that there was something different about the other person. There was some, there was transformation happening as a result of the individual work. Um, how long would you say in your own process? I, I often, when I'm talking about coupleship, you know, there are two questions. The first question is, do I think that things can be better? Mm -hmm. And the second question is, do I want things to be better? So one is about possibility. One is about desire. We're in the process for you. Did you start beginning to believe things could be better? So the possibility was there. And then at what point did the desire of I want things to be better kind of kick in? Hmm. I would say for myself, even believing that things could be better um, was was within a month or two. I mean, even after Chris went to the men's intensive, something began to shift. I mean, there was just something happening in him within the first month or two. Same for myself. It was it was just like this is such an opportunity because I think at that point in our marriage, over over ten years married, we were recognizing those dance steps you were talking mm -hmm. about, and so even to know there was a different way. And there could be some new steps learned. Um, I didn't know if that was going to be our marriage, but I, I did begin to see it in Chris for himself individually, and I began to see it for myself. In terms of our marriage, um, I would say maybe a few months in, there was just that little question of, could this be really in, in all ways a completely different relationship? Yeah, I agree. I would I, My thought process... I think followed a similar trajectory there. And so, yeah, it was, it was baby steps, you know, and in our case, we decided, I mean, we just, we, I know that we both had decided just to take things slow individually. And then certainly we took things slow as a couple. Uh, but it was, it, it was within the, I think the, the men's intensive is what gave me some hope of, around my own recovery and the possibility, the possibility that could I actually be sober? Could I actually be what, you know, not just, behaviorally sober, but sober minded and, and, and move into a transform and move into a whole new paradigm and, and just be, live as a man of integrity. It, that started to sink in pretty quickly, you know, within the first month or two. And then, uh, you know, I, I was, I was seeing that, that Elizabeth also was open to the idea of transforming. And so it was both of us being here at Faithful and True and experiencing the idea that I that I could transform, I, it gave me some level of confidence and and, and assuredness that that's probably the same sort of messaging and hopefully the way she's feeling, you know, on her side of the fence or in her her own hoop, you know, working with Debbie and the and others here at Faithful and True. And so I was just it was kind of like I'm thinking, well, if this is happening for me, I, it I, it it may very well be happening for her. Right. And then I started to see that that's that was true. It was happening for her. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe three months or so into the process, again, I don't want to, this was a long process for us. Uh, 
almost two years really before we you know really got through the whole kind of the whole program and, and really kind of fully reintegrated um, but probably three months or so the idea that there was a glimmer of hope potentially mm-hmm. uh, but but cautiously optimistic right. at that point well and I think the desire piece is huge mm-hmm. and especially for spouses who have been significantly betrayed desire is a place of vulnerability and I know that for many of us, when we've been hurt, part of our coping strategy is to shut down our desire in order to try to create safety. Mm-hmm. And so for some couples, it may even take a little bit longer where they begin to feel safe enough and trust this other person enough and the changes that they're experiencing to open themselves up to that desire again. I mean, working with couples, one of the messages that we can get sometimes is, well, I don't know if I desire my spouse anymore, if I want to be with them. Mm -hmm. And many times that's coming out of a place of hurt, and it's going to take some time for that hurt to be healed so that they can get to the desire. Yeah. And I remember that, Greg, um, specifically, that that I was noticing transformation. I, I I had some hope of some of, of us coming back together. And I was really fearful about that desire not returning. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wondered, like, is that is that going to come back? And I know that was just that was just my hurt. That was just that betrayal, that that broken trust of um, could could there be enough healing? And it was, as Chris talked about, that slow process of, of taking steps towards each other. Um, it, it, it did. But I was patient in that as well. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really important point around separation. So a lot of times we'll get questions about well, what makes a separation successful or not, you know, or, or how do you know whether you can, at the apex of that diamond, you know, how do you know whether you can begin moving the couple back together or not? It requires two. You know, you both have to do the work. You both have to really be committed to the process. Unfortunately, you know, we don't always see that that's the case. But almost assuredly, you know, if you get two people really working their own individual programs, you're, you're going to get to a place where you can turn that corner and, be, and begin moving back together. But it's, 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 it's extremely important that uh, I think that the listeners understand that it takes, it takes two mm-hmm. to make this work mm-hmm. and to ultimately get to a place where we can begin moving back together. So I would say that we all believe that separation can be redemptive. Mm-hmm. It can be a positive thing for a couple. Beth and I were separated for six months when our lives exploded. Um, So what would be some of the indicators that you see that separation might be the next right step for a couple? What are the things that you're looking for when you're working with couples? Separation or reintegration? Separation. Separation. How would a couple know separation might be right for us? Mm-hmm. I think one thing we look for is if there's high amounts of toxicity, you know, just really extreme emotion um, fighting where it just it, it's not it's, it's not a safe environment mm-hmm. for for one of them or for either of them. And there just needs to be a little uh, de-escalation. And so at times in that, that can be one thing we look for is just getting some space for for both of them to take a break from each other. I think another thing we look for is just kind of unhealthy, uh, what we would call it, like unhealthy attachment, you know, where, and you ask Greg, you know, is it, do you get to a point where you, where you no longer feel like you, you, where you want to be with the other person? And interestingly enough, even in the midst of all, all of the chaos, we oftentimes find that couples feel like they need to be with one another. Like they can't live, I can't live without my spouse. I can't be apart from my spouse. 
many of the folks we work with, you know, they don't, they don't believe that they could be alone and be okay. It's the spouse in a sense has become kind of the idol or that, that primary, there's an unhealthy attachment there. And so occasionally we'll, we'll, we'll focus on that. And as, as a, as a focus of the, of the, uh, separation. When, one of the images that I use, it's kind of like a trailer hitch. I don't know if you've ever pulled a trailer that's not solid on the ball. Mm-hmm. You're pulling it, but it's not secure. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is you have to stop, you have to unhook it, and then rehook it. Yes. And sometimes couples, their early relationship, they didn't connect in a healthy way. So those old patterns of unhealth have just perpetuated and intensified. So sometimes one of the best things they can do is unhook so that then that they can reconnect in healthier ways and have that connection that's more sustainable mm-hmm. and is safer for both of them. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, Chris and I talk with couples early on that, especially at the, at the front of this journey, so much of the focus is individually of who are you? How did you get here? You know, for the men and women, it's different in terms of things that they look at, but there is a focus on, on them individually. And there are times where, um, because of that unhealthy attachment, they get in each other's way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're just focusing so much on the coupleship that there's the inability to focus individually. And so there are times we just say, this is not about ending the marriage, but let's take a time out so you can both have some space to focus on yourselves. Well, you, you mentioned toxicity. I think another factor that can be important for a couple to consider is the level of pain in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I once had a doctor um, tell me that sometimes if the body is in too much pain, it cannot heal itself. So one of the things that they're going to try to do is minimize the pain so that then the body can focus on healing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be true in couples where just being around each other, there's this triggering fact, there's this toxicity but there can also be this intense pain and the pain becomes the focus and neither one of them and the relationship can't heal in the context of all of that pain. So one of the things that the separation can do is it gives them some space from the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it may give them the margin that they need to begin to experience some healing mm-hmm. um, in themselves and in the relationship. Yes. Yeah. I think too, there's, you know, something that we explore is, you know, what, what like what type of separation so they can be you know we're, we're talking about you know factors around separation separating like what's the what are the factors around actually initiating the separation but you know it you know, part of that discussion includes also you know what what type of separation right. are we talking about here you know there can be and you know when you're dealing with that sort of those those extreme levels of pain extreme levels of toxicity those types of things it may be more appropriate to move to maybe an out-of-house separation, you know, versus, a, say, an in-house separation. So we explored, like, you know, different types of separation, too, based on the factors that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are times, practically, uh, out-of-house separation isn't possible. Um, and so a couple may choose an in-house separation. One of the things that Beth and I have seen in working with couples is what is possible is sometimes they're not separated enough. Mm -hmm. So they're living in this in-between world where they're not fully together, they're not fully apart, and that in-between creates its own kind of chaos. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a couple needs to be challenged a little bit to create even greater separation because, like you said, if there's some unhealthy attachment, they may be trying to facilitate that in whatever form of separation that they're doing, and it's not giving them what they need to really unhook or heal and get the space that they need to really experience that. 
Absolutely. We do. We, we see that play out, you know, quite a bit and just working with the, the couple to just challenge that of what's, what's going on, you know, what, what is, uh, what's preventing the two of you from being able to separate and to un- unhitch, um, because there can be a lot of fears of, as you were saying, like, I need, I need this person. I I'm, I'm afraid to let go and just challenging. What are some of those, what are some of those fears and working through that process of surrender of, of stepping away from each other and getting some of that space, um, so that when they come back, it is from that place, like you said, of choosing to, I want to be with you, not that I need to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the idea is I can't fully choose my marriage if I don't have the opportunity not to choose my marriage. Yeah. And if I'm married because of obligation or if I'm married because of fear, then I'm really not going to experience the intimacy that God intended. Mm-hmm. And so this space may create the space I need to literally be able to evaluate, mm-hmm. can I in my full wise self re-engage the marriage and the relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, this is an important topic, so we are going to continue talking about this idea of redemptive separation, but it's been great to begin the conversation today. Thanks, Greg. We really appreciate you joining us today, and we uh, very quietly but secretly uh, extended your contract uh, on on the podcast. It's a a highly complicated uh, document. You'll have to have your lawyer look at it sometime. But uh, we'd like to thank everyone today for joining us for the Faithful and True podcast. We hope that uh, today's show has been uh, beneficial to you. I I think that a lot of people will be um, inspired to hear that there's really a chance for a redemptive separation and and, uh, witness the great things that, that can come out of it. So uh, if you have enjoyed today's show, we hope that you will like us on YouTube. If you've been listening to the audio version of the podcast, which is available on faithfulandtrue.com, it's on uh, iHeartRadio and also on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate it if you, uh, you give us a like and uh, recommend it for any friends or family members you may have who could benefit from the content. So uh, until then, we again thank Chris and Elizabeth, and of course, Greg, as always. Uh, I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we hope that this coming week for you is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.